Hi, friends. It's wonderful to see you again. Uh, I've been thinking recently about how privileged we are in Australia. Uh, we lack not. TV series on demand, movies whenever we want, even food delivered to our doorsteps of the most varied cuisines that we could ever dream of. Large houses, great education, glorious holidays, and even modern healthcare for all. If we're honest, we live like kings and queens. We experience abundant wealth. I wonder whether this has numbed most Australians to the gospel. We're self-made men. We're self-made women who don't need God. Most Aussies probably even think, God, if I'm going to come to you, it's going to be on my terms. I'm going to set the agenda. Of course you'd get around someone like me because I'm such a top bloke. And if we're honest, our neighbours, our family, our friends, their lives look impressive, don't they? The thought of embracing Jesus is seen as constricting. It's not the good life. He's a dud and you'll miss out. And I think sometimes we even wonder, in our honest moments, am I missing out? Is following Jesus really worth it? especially when we look at how good Jimmy is doing down the road. The self-made men, the self-made women rule our world. So the question I want to uh, probe today and get us thinking about is what leads to the good life? What will help me flourish? What will help me be happy? What will help me be rich? How can I thrive in life? And especially uh, with COVID-19, it's taking away all of our comforts, our material comforts. They're really being challenged for the first time. Today's story with the rich young man, it's, it's a thrilling one. It's one where we can hardly look away. So let's get into the text. Let's jump in at verse 16. Just then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now right up front, we get an insight into his worldview, isn't it? You see that there? What good things must I do to inherit eternal life? It's all about his performance. He's capable of earning his salvation. And it's a very transactionary relationship here. Hey God, you do this for me and I'll do this for you. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'm only into it for what I can get out of it. Now Jesus here probes him with some questions. He teases out his thinking. Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? This young man, he's been paying attention to the commands of God, but he still feels that he's lacking in some way. He has genuine doubts about whether he has done enough. Now the commands here are all relational ones. Notice that? It's about how you treat others. Don't cheat, don't steal things, don't give false testimony, love and respect your neighbour, honour your parents, the great Deuteronomic uh, call there. Now all these commands are outward. They're to be seen by others. His ethical performance would be impressive to the world. He would look like a top bloke 
who's doing the right thing. Yet there's an elephant in the room. I wonder whether you've noticed it there. The complete absence of God. God seems to be divorced from his life and not mentioned at all in these commands. Uh, so let's pause for a moment and play some Bible trivia. So 10 points uh, if you get this right. Here it is. Where are the Ten Commandments listed? That's right. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Second question. We'll say 20 points for this one. Uh, and I, th I think the Elos teenagers ought to kind of nail this one because it was in their new city to city catechism. Here it is. What are the first two commands? Have no other gods. Yahweh is the one true God. He's a jealous God and he wants our hearts. The second command is do not have uh, any other gods. Don't make uh, for yourself an image or worship that. Be that a statue or don't love things in God's place. Even good things like iPhone and Paw Patrol and Beyblades and even a wonderful thing like cricket. Don't love that above God. This rich man, he's following all the commands. It's the easy thing to do. It's all about him and his impressive performance. But as we learned a little bit earlier, as Alex read the story, there are questions about this man's loves, what this man lives for, his purpose, his security in life, while well, it's in his wealth. To quote the, the classic movie from the 1990s, Jerry Maguire, show me the money. So let's look now at Jesus' response that gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus hits the nail on the head here about what this man loves. He challenges his loves. His functional God is money. His saviour is his own wealth. His comfort and security are tied up in this. I looked up some Australian colloquial terms that, that get it kind of how to explain money and our love for it. So here are three. He loves the big bickies. He works for coin. And finally, he's wallet is full of pineapples. Now Jesus' call for discipleship here, it's twofold, isn't it? Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. These two things are interconnected. They can't be separated. And this twofold challenge is just too hard for this man, this rich young man. He couldn't, he wouldn't give up his wealth and his security and his money. So he turns his back on Jesus and he exits. His heart is far too bound up in the treasures of this world, in the material comforts of this world. And Jesus here, well, he gives us a different attitude towards money, doesn't he? Have, the, have a look at that in the Bible, so at verse 21. Uh, in this text, Jesus doesn't say money's a bad thing. Rather, he just redefines true wealth. He redefines our investment portfolio. Use your money to store up treasure in heaven. Contribute generously to the kingdom of God. And possibly this investment could open doors for the gospel. People who are in the darkness might come into the light 
because people have been set aside to speak about Christ. And I think most importantly here, uh, his decision will show the world what he loves the most. It will reveal what he treasures. It's a discipleship opportunity. Now, as we've just heard from the Vinicams in the video uh, before uh, this talk, uh, we set them aside for gospel ministry in, the Groot, in Groot Island, just off the Northern Territory. Uh, we pray for them, we encourage them, uh, we give financially so that they can learn the culture, they can preach the gospel clearly, uh, they can uh, raise up indigenous uh, church leaders and support them. They can use their translation skills to, to actually write the language down. And we hope and we pray that over 5, 10, 15 or even 20 years that Aboriginal men and women, boys and girls, might come to the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ. That they might be eternally rich because they've heard the gospel and they've responded to King Jesus. It's an investment that bears eternal fruit. So as we hear from Matt and Kate, it's an opportunity for us to open up our wallets, to invest in the kingdom. It's a discipleship opportunity. Talking about money is helpful for our Christian growth. So helpful. Jesus has a lot of things to say about money. He has a lot of things to say about what we treasure and what we love. Now it's worth pausing for a moment to think about the true treasures that we have in the gospel. Christians are the richest people in the world. We lack nothing. We are known and loved by the eternal God. If we fix our eyes on Christ, who eternally was with the Father, in the power of the Spirit, eterning him, enjoying him from ages to ages, he comes into our world and he becomes poor. The Lord Jesus, the one who created the world, is mocked. He's spit on. He's humiliated. He's executed on the cross. And he does this so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be part of God's family. It's an incredible story that Christ, he was rich from eternity to eternity, came into this world so that we could become rich. Now as we read uh, about this rich young man, we, we feel for him, don't we? We know that he's turning his back on the true and living God. We know that he's missing out on the riches that Christ offers him. Now, I want us to think about how we might apply this passage a bit more broadly. Yes, this, money, uh, firstly is a, uh, this passage firstly is about money, but it's not entirely about money, is it? Here, Jesus challenges his loves. He challenges, them, he challenges this young man to give them up and follow him. You see, we all have stumbling blocks in our lives, don't we? Things that can be unhelpful. Things that take up too much of our time, energy, and our focus. Be that uh, our... Work, climbing the career ladder, be it gripped by uh, power or influence or control, absorbed by sport, absorbed by leisure and food and drink. Or it could be even something simple as being liked by others and being accepted. These can be unhelpful and even destructive things. Discipleship is denying yourself and putting Jesus, number one, right at the top, where he belongs. Yes, kids, I've just verbatim quoted a Colin Buchanan line. I just wanted to make sure you are listening in as well. So coming to Jesus on his terms, it means replacing our tiny little loves with abundant 
life-giving love. It's being more enthralled by Jesus and the riches that he offers us than anything in this world. It's seeing the world through the, through the prism of, our, of the riches that we have in Christ. It'll turn our world upside down, or possibly even the right side up. Now, to test our hearts, to figure out what our loves might be, I've kind of come up with some questions, two questions to help us reflect. The first one is, what do you dream about? What finishes the sentence, I'll be happy when? Or I'll be happy if. Or on the flip side, what keeps you up at night? What's your deepest nightmare? What is it that uh, provokes anxiety in your life? Now, why not reflect on these later? You might want to talk to somebody in your house about these things. You might notice in the um, Connect card uh, that the questions are written there. You might want to pick the phone up and give someone a call. Have a chat with a friend from church. Or you might even like to join us for a Zoom hangout where we'll kind of go into breakout rooms to think about these questions together. Uh, for me, it's often about comfort and ease. That's the stumbling block. I want the easy life. Comfortable, not too challenging. Maybe I should go get that church, that church job, the comfortable ministry job in that tiny church. Better pay, less financial pressure. Hey, it's, it's sometimes hard talking about people to people about financial partnership and prayer and money. But Beck and I, we remind ourselves that putting Jesus number one is inevitably costly, and it's worth it. We turn from our idol of comfort and put Jesus number one, and we get on with the work that the Lord has for us to do. All right, let's move on to our second point today, which is all about how we come to God, how we approach him. Is it on our terms or is it on his terms? Now remember the rich young ruler, his story was, his worldview was all about his impressive performance. Let me read verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for somebody who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus gives us warnings about money here. Let me say it very seriously. The rich cannot enter the kingdom of God. They cannot inherit eternal life. Now, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. You see, a rich man, a rich woman relies on their own money. They rely on their own strength. There's no need for God. They're self-made, and God gets pushed to the side. Money has blinded them to God and their need for him. It's a bit like that person who's tied up at a bucks party with handcuffs, completely trapped, no way out. Now in verse 24, Jesus offers a vivid illustration, one that's been grasped by uh, the culture around us across the centuries. Jesus gets the biggest animal in the ancient Near East, uh, a camel, and he gets the smallest uh, commonly used opening, which was kind of like the eye of a needle. You get the picture, don't you? Our common sense tells us that it is impossible. Now, many people of the day, in this day and age, saw wealth as a sign of blessing from God. God's prospered you. God's looked favorably upon you. That's why the disciples are so astonished in verse 25 and say, Who then can be saved? 
If those who are blessed by God who are not, are not in the kingdom of God, who can be? Who stands a chance? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Our salvation is on God's terms. God can and will regenerate hearts. But me and, and my effort to earn God's love, well, it's just foolish. It's simply not possible in our own strength to earn God's love, just like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Rather, we need to listen to God. We need to lean on his prior actions. The story where God is the hero, not you. A story that says I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me and so loved that Jesus was willing to die for me. You see, God has revealed himself in the gospel, in the story about Jesus, his son. God has made a way for salvation to be possible. In Jesus' um, life, death and resurrection, it changes everything. Jesus is the way to God. And we need to put our trust in him. We need to respond to King Jesus. And God then, well, he'll send his spirit into our life to change us, to transform us. Salvation is possible, but it's on, it's on God's terms. He's done an amazing thing. And you know what? Our attitude matters. We have to have the right attitude towards God, the right attitude towards our salvation. And at this point, Matthew wedging the story with the little children right before this passage really helps us. It shows us the right way to approach God. Let me read it. Uh, verse 13. But then people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. In the disciples' mind, Jesus doesn't have time for these snotty little children. He's an important minister of the gospel. He's got to get on with it. But Jesus corrects their attitude. He uses it as a teaching opportunity. Let the little children come to me. He places his hands on them. And we're told in another gospel account that he prays for them. Don't prevent children from coming to Jesus. That's why I'm so thankful at DPC. We have a kids program where in community, the kids can be taught the gospel. They can hear that uh, they can come to Jesus on his terms. In age-appropriate ways, we share that with them. So kids, if you're sitting in the room, look at the TV now. Jesus welcomes you into God's family. It's wonderful to have you part of our church. Absolutely wonderful. And this passage also uh, inspires me to get involved in the Holiday Kids Club program because we know that transformation is possible even in the youngest of children. But this is not all that Jesus has to say here. Have a look at the text again. He says, The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. We need to have a childlike attitude to enter the kingdom of God. We have to have complete trust, and dependence like, like a child would have with their parents. A child doesn't earn their parents' love. They freely accept it. They trust in their parents' love wholeheartedly. Children receive the good gifts from their parents with thanksgiving. So to us, we need to come to Jesus on his terms and receive 
salvation as a gift, humbly trusting that God has done it all. So let's bring all this together now. Remember the rich young man? Remember his attitude? It was all about his performance. Get around me. I'm self-reliant. I'm self-made. Well, Jesus says it's impossible for somebody like this to enter the kingdom of God. Just as impossible as a camel going through the eye of a needle. The right attitude we have to have is trusting Jesus like a child. Humbly coming to Jesus and accepting all that he's done for us. Admitting that we have need and throwing ourselves at his mercy. That's how we are to approach Jesus. It's on his terms. So another question you might want to ponder at some stage, do you find it easy to accept salvation as a gift? In what ways do your tendencies to earn God's salvation rear their head? All right, let's move on to our third and final point today, which is driven uh, from a question by Peter. Peter's question comes from an uncertain point. If a person's salvation and entering the kingdom of God is only by God's power, then, then how do I know? How do we know whether we've been saved? Have we done enough? Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What, will the, what then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. In the age to come, things will be turned on their head. The important people of this world will be last, and the lowly and the insignificant will be first. Honoured by Jesus because they've come to Jesus on his terms. Jesus has set the agenda for their life. Jesus' words have affected them day in, day out. This is what the future holds. Uh, the twelve disciples, well, they'll have a unique role in judging Israel, we're told here. Uh, pretty much from this point on, uh, they take up the leadership of God's people. It's about the church now and no longer Israel. Uh, in the age to come, we'll receive eternal life. We'll be connected with God forever. We'll live in a perfect world without death, pain or mourning. His dwelling place will be with us, no longer relating to God at a distance. No more being estranged from him because of our sin. We will know the closeness of God like never before. We will be with the one who knows us intimately and who loves us perfectly. Now that's the good life. That's the life that leads to flourishing and our happiness. The good things of this world with the best person of all, God himself. Hashtag blessed. Sorry, I couldn't do a sermon without putting a silly joke like that in. Hashtag blessed. Now, for those who have left families or homes or fields for Jesus' sake, will receive a hundredfold blessing in this 
new heavens and new earth. Now, I don't think this is necessarily literal. It's quite hard to have a hundred mothers or a hundred fathers, but it's, it's here to show us the incredible blessings that there will be. We will be eternally rich. So I think the question is, what do you crave more? To be rich or really rich? Now, I've got a quote from a, a church father to get us thinking a bit more about this and also a hymn. Hopefully it kind of brings it home for us. Firstly, a hymn. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. God himself is our treasure. Unlike the rich man who wanted eternal life without God, we get the best gift there is. God himself. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, wrote this in the 19th century, a great Baptist hero of mine. Yes, that's right. Even Presbyterians can have Baptist heroes. He was a good unit. This is what he said. We need not covet money, for we shall always have our God. And God is better than gold. His favor is better than fortune. Friends, we we are rich. We are really rich. Let's not miss this. Don't be so comfortable in our privileged world that you miss all the spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ. The spiritual blessings now and the spiritual blessings to come in the age ahead of us. We've got to make sure that we're not numbed to the blessings with how comfortable we are in the world around us. I think we need to grasp this if we're going to live as disciples of Jesus now. The costly sacrifice is worth it. This rich young man walked away from Jesus sad. But we run to Jesus happily, don't we? As we know all the riches that he offers us and how loved we are. It's a, it's a wonderful reality. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, there is none like you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We praise you for how wide and long and deep and high the love of Christ is. We so praise you for this. Amen.